Welcome to the Pirate's Eye Podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, fellow pirate of the class of 2010, and each month I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to chat about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. In this episode, we don't have our eye on just one alumnus. We have our eye on almost three decades of Setonians who lived the experience of having a bar on campus when they were students, AKA the pub. We're going to hear from Seton Hall's archivist, Alan Delosier, who through his research will walk us through how the pub came to be, what the student experience was like during each decade and how it came to an end. So join me in this trip down memory lane. Okay, Alan, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Thanks, Bianca. It's great to be here. It's really nice to talk to you as always. And today we're going to be jumping into a conversation about the infamous Seton Hall Pub. But before we jump in, please share, why are you the right person to have this chat with? What is your role at Seton Hall how is it that you are the person that's going to be able to paint this picture for us? Well, thanks for giving me that wonderful uh, introduction and credit, Bianca. Um, one of the beautiful parts about my job as university archivist is that we preserve a lot of the records of the university, the institution at large, but in particular, such wonderful and memorable institutions within the campus as the pub and its history throughout its uh, run from the uh, early 1970s up until uh, the late 1990s. So I'm uh, happy to talk about it. And also, you know, with the inspiration of so many alumni and so many friends who actually were at the pub during its heyday, it's really a pleasure to talk in more detail about it. Absolutely. And how long have you been with Seton Hall as the archivist? Uh, I've been here over uh, 22 years. And my first, uh, ironically, uh, my first year was the year after the pub uh, closed. Well, actually, it closed officially in 1996, but it w the space was used for some other functions um, after you know the pub itself ceased to operate. So I've been here that long. And just an interesting side note, actually, um, I took a tour of the campus in 1989, when I was looking at schools and I got a tour of the student center where the pub was located. And um, that was part of the tour and it was um, described in glowing terms. So I'll always remember that. So just a little personal perspective to go along with the uh, historical record that we uh, have on site here at the college and that we offer our research community out there. Yeah. And you, so you almost live the pub experience. <laughs> yes. So Either way, I can think of no better person to chat about Seton Hall history with. So first, let's paint the picture of the location. There are some folks that are going to be listening to this podcast who have no idea what the pub is, although I find that hard to believe because it's so famous that I feel like every generation of Setonians after the 70s knows about the pub. But for anybody that might be listening before its existence or is brand new to the community, Paint the picture. Pre-1970s, where is the pub or, you know, before the pub is in existence, what was there first? What are we looking at? What space on campus? Great, Bianca. You're, it's so true. And I look forward to seeing what the comments are after our discussion. 
Um, actually, let's go back a little bit in time, uh, the early 1960s, when uh, the Student Center was christened uh, in 1962, became um, a focal point on campus. Being the Student Center, it was also the dining hall. They had study areas and various other things that really catered to the Seton Hall community at that time and just progressed over the years, became more populated and was the uh, was the place to be, so to speak, um, going through the rest of that decade. And by um, the early 1970s, let me just um, put a little bit of context in for you. The pub was located on the first floor of the Student Center. And prior to its um, creation, there was a group called the uh, Buccaneer Club which was formed around 1970. But there had been discussions about a pub coming to uh, campus and most logically to the student center throughout the uh, late 1960s. And it took a few years for the Buccaneer Club to get the proper clearance from the university. Um, And also they had to um, deal with um, uh, town officials in South Orange too. So everything was uh, properly done. And the Student Government Association was heavily involved and they were the primary sponsors of the uh, pub. But getting back to your original question about location and um, uh, areas, uh, on the first floor of the student center, picture it, 1972 is when the um, pub was officially opened and was located in a part of the um, first floor, which was heavily trafficked. Um, it was actually across from what was called the game room at that time, or TV okay. room. So, okay. uh, so it was strategically located. Um, of course, refreshments and also entertainment, you couldn't go wrong. And a lot of the students were really excited to have this on campus because it, it provided a uh, not only an entertainment center, but also a place to bond uh, between classes, after classes, and so forth. Um, and what they did is they actually redecorated the space um, to house the um, the pub, as it properly became known um, early on. Um, one of the interesting things was it was styled in the fashion of an English pub, um, right. even though it was um, sort of an American-style pub with um, you know different um, amenities, such as um, they had food to go along with the uh, beverages, um, soda, beer, and so forth. And of course, as you touched upon, um, the drinking age at that point was 18 years of age, so it catered to all years, all uh, classes of the Seton Hall uh, student body. So, all right. So let me let me let me pause you there, right? Okay. So I'm I'm imagining this, and again, for anyone, which I find hard to believe if no one knows about this, but for those that may not know what we're talking about, we are talking about you walk into the university center, and you go to what was previously known in the most recent years as the Pirate's Cove. Is that right? Yes. Right. So we're walking into the Pirate's Cove. That, back in 1972, becomes the pub, which is actually a pub serving beer. And did they also serve wine? They did, yes. Yeah. Serving beer and wine, serving as an entertainment space for students within the age range. So in that space... That when you walk in and you know it as Pirate's Cove, you very much can see how it transitioned into what it was, but you can see how it existed as a pub before that. Prior to its existence as the pub, prior to it being designed in that um, English style bar, what what was that space used for? It's interesting. It was um, 
now I'm going by documentation here. And um, actually, I don't have too many photos, so I'm going by um, uh, textual documentation, as archivists are want to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, um, I heard it was like part of the Student Government Association offices. They um, sacrificed some space. <laughs> I love this. The student government is like, we're going to we're going to make some sacrifices here. We're going to give up our offices so we can bring a bar to campus. That's how it's sounding. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, going full circle, it was actually uh, part of the space was a snack bar once upon a time from what I've read in um, historical accounts of the period. So it's interesting how it all came about. And they spent about $9,000 from what I read. Uh, remind, remind everybody it's a 1972 dollars so it's a little right. bit more with inflation today mm-hmm. to uh, retrofit and make it a really um, welcoming environment and you know having all the amenities of a uh, of a pub or bar uh, so to speak which happened once they had the official clearance and then the grand opening and then from there um, things took off so Alan it's a long Thursday of classes. <laughs> And I wrap up my day and I head over to the university center and it is, let's say the year 1973. I'm 18, 19 years old. I pull up to the pub and I have myself a glass of beer or wine. So far, am I right? Yes, you are. All right. You have to love the 70s students. You, you really do. Absolutely. So what we're looking at is this really full campus experience, right? Every student coming in basically in the 70s can take part of this social environment. And can you tell us from your research, what exactly was that environment like during that time? Uh, it was very convivial. And just picture, of course, 70s fashion is really cool in various ways. So think about all the great plaid and the hair and all the wonderful things. But the main thing, too, along with just picturing uh, the vibe at that time and those who lived it, you know, you have that special um, memory and experience. Um you mentioned Thursday, and I'm glad you did, Bianca, because Thursdays were the prime time because even where I went to school, um, sorry, I didn't go to Seton Hall, but I'm always, uh, <laughs> always keep it in my heart. But we'll forgive anyway, you for that. But a traditional thing is basically Thursdays through Sunday is usually the traditional, you know, basically, um, let's just say, uh, you know, post-class um, outing time for right. you know, for a lot of college students. I'm not going to say everything. Sure. But with that said, you know, Thursdays and the pub actually opened around 4 p.m. and it was open every day, 4 p.m. and then it closed around midnight. But the hours changed over time. With that said, a Thursday night, it would be jam-packed, um, especially as you went from 10 o'clock onward. Uh, and there were, there were lines to get in. And from what I, what I understand... There were different types of entertainment too, along with you know just social socialization. So it was loud, it was happy, it was um, really festive and really um, really exciting. Apparently, from what I've read, just just imagining what it was like. And Bianca, I'm glad you painted that word picture. It's like being in this space was something that was memorable. And I think it, a lot of people met uh, lifelong friends. And, you know, could meet new people and so forth. Even though it was crowded, they said somehow everybody would get in at some point, even with lines and waiting to get in. 
And initially you had to have a card. You had to purchase a card to get in. And I think the cover was $1, but don't hold me to that. That was for a uh, period of time during the seventies. So it was affordable for most uh, college students. And also, again, as you mentioned, the types of drinks, beer, wine, soda as well, and food. There were all these opportunities. And I don't know how they did it, but there were some dancing sometimes. (laughs) And, and of course, the focal point, too, in most cases was um, they had live bands uh, and different theme nights over over time. So, you know, it wasn't boring at all. We can say it's it's exciting. I've seen accounts where it was the most memorable part of their Seton Hall experience. And I can see why. And I'll put it in educational terms. <laughs> Basically, outside of the academic textbooks, which are important, of course, of course. Um, you, you learn so much about individuals. And again, you meet people. And it's it's one of those experiences that stay with you for, throughout a lifetime. And it's part of that bonding of your college years and so forth. I know that's the um, that's the heavy duty <laughs> explanation yeah. of the pub, but you know, it's just plain fun, too. And yeah. I think anybody who I hope to talk to um, after this podcast um, who has specific experiences, you know, share some of their specifics. Oh, my God. I would love to hear some stories. I'm with you, Bianca. Yes. So, <laughs> that's the picture I get. So thanks for um, setting the stage for that, so to speak. Now, Alan, I want to stay in the 70s for a minute. And I want to ask you if you know um, any information on why the law changed. So it's my understanding that in the very early 70s or prior to the 70s, the law in New Jersey for where the minimum drinking age was 21. But somewhere around 1973, it gets lowered to 18. Do you know what was going on at the time that may have encouraged? I mean, that's so odd for us to think about in this time time and day, right? Like, lowering the drinking age doesn't seem to really be a, a conversation or something that the state would pass. But at that time that they, they did, they lowered the drinking age. Do you know why? Right, Bianca. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm sorry to bring you know, serious topics in, but it did affect um, how the uh, pub operated and some of the logistics. And I'm sorry, putting on the historian's hat, give you a little bit more background. That's why you're here. I want, to, <laughs> I want you to put the historian's hat on. You're, you're kind. So <laughs> going by my source materials, um, going back, you know, in the history of Seton Hall, just to give you, you know, the picture and the context, um, even from its earliest days, um, Seton Hall was a dry campus. You have to keep this in mind for most of its first, you know, 75 to 100 years plus. Um, there was a provision in some of the early catalogs that if a student was found intoxicated on campus, it meant immediate dismissal. Wow. And then we had the famous um, Act of Pro- the Volstead Act, the Prohibition Act of the 1920s and early 30s. Right. And um, from that point on, you know, alcohol became um, something that was uh, regulated. But then you get into the 1950s and so forth. Um, Basically, the drinking age for a time, especially in New York City, was 18. So a lot of Seen Hall students would go over, you know, uh, the Hudson River to obtain alcohol and bring it back to New Jersey. But fast forward to the 1970s now. Um, The drinking age, as you said, was lowered to 18 in 1973. And this was a legal change basically um, during the Vietnam era because a lot of veterans who came back thought, they deserve the right to have that choice, you know, freedom of choice, so to speak. Um, and then for a number of years, you know, it was kept in place. And um, 
basically until 1980, it was actually, um, the drink age was, you know, set at 19. So they went one year up. Part of this was in terms of the changes, um, was the number of drunk uh, driving accidents, unfortunately, and various other incidents that were coming to the public consciousness um, in terms of, you know, alcohol, age, um, maturity, and so forth. So these are judgment calls that were made by the government in New Jersey. Um, And then 1983 is when it was raised back to 21. So the 1970s was a period of more freedom and in terms of, um, you know, responsibility in terms of the students and going that route. Um, So that's why the pub was like really even more important as a, uh, as a meeting place, because you had students again from all different classes who could uh, mix and mingle and, um, you know, be, uh, be happy, but also, you know, have a good time and learn about each other in the process. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned the the 1980s. So, so far we have the pub opens and for most of the 70s, it is an all student experience. It is something that pretty much if you're interested in that type of social environment and you're a student at Seton Hall, everyone can be in this place at the same time, getting together, exchanging, you know, like you're saying, getting to know one another, creating relationships having a good time, all on campus. And then that starts to change. So first, the drinking age goes up, like you mentioned, just one year to 19, not too dramatic. Almost all the students are still involved in what is the pub environment. Freshmen have to wait till their next birthday, but that's okay. (laughs) I think the upperclassmen can deal with that, right? But then we we change. So 10 or so years after the pub is established on campus, the age goes from 18 to 19 to 21 again. And so I imagine, and I don't know if you can tell us anything from the research, but I imagine that it went from this all student experience to a most student experience to a more limited group of students with access to the experience. So for the rest of the 80s, does that change the environment of the pub? What is what does it mean to have a pub on campus at that point? That's a great point, Bianca, and it's true. It actually made a dramatic shift, not only in terms of only, well, pretty much only seniors. Um, and of course, those over 21 could um, be patrons at the, at the pub itself. But I read where, interestingly, around that time period, um, the pub actually ran a deficit. You know, they were $20,000 or so in the hole because um, the drop in terms of because actually students needed a car to, um, uh, you know, access the pub um, on a regular basis. It was sort of like a subscription, uh, sort of like um, a gym membership card or something, so to speak. (laughs) With that said, uh, they were having trouble in terms of uh, balancing the books. So what they had to do too is, um, you know, cut staff, um, you know, open extra hours or curtail hours, depending upon how much um, uh, logistics were in place. With that said, uh, in the 1980s, there was actually kind of a renaissance in terms of how the pub operated um, in terms of, um, certain attractions to bring more individuals in, such as theme nights and, um, you know, various various specials in terms of um, 
like 50 cent draft. Like drink, yeah, drink specials. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to ask you how much does a beer cost me at the pub? Uh, exactly. I've heard, I've read about student complaints that sometimes, um, I'll say the, uh, the, uh, quantity went up, but the quality went down in terms of <laughs> cost. So I'd have to do a beer study analysis from the seventies to the eighties. And I won't, I won't mention any brand names, but suffice to say a lot of local or popular, you know, national brands were, were served, um, at various times at, at the, at the pub, at the, um, at the bar, which was, um, you know, pretty much the focal point of, um, once you're in there. Um, one of the things too, is also, um, in terms of lines, I mentioned lines to get in, but lines at the, uh, the bar itself were very long, but one of the benefits of the eighties, of course, with fewer uh, students who are eligible to, um, you know, go into the uh, pub and drink, you know, by choice, um, of course, checking ID, checking their membership card and so forth, uh, was that, you know, the lines sort of like narrowed down and also, you know, the space was a lot more, you know, free, free to move about. Even though, even though it was, it was, you know, it, it was perpetually crowded from what I understand, um, regardless. Um, and again, Thursday through uh, Sunday night, it was really, um, really active. They did open on weekends more often and more, pronounced during the 1980s again to uh, build up um, financial reserves but also to cater to uh, its popularity one of the things too in the 80s that happened um, in more detail i should point out within the context of the university more dorm space was being built so yeah. you, know, you had a higher residential rate on campus but also you had some off-campus housing but also the commuter um, traffic was very uh, heavy still it, it was that way throughout most of St. Hall's early years especially after World War II when you know motorized traffic really came into uh, vogue and um, of course one of the other traditions of Seton Hall along with the uh, beauty and the uh, you know treasuring of the pub is the um, fight for parking spaces <laughs> so <laughs> over the years it's a lot better now but back in we, can, so much- we can do a whole nother episode on parking and i know that that'll get some people really riled up yeah i'm sorry to bring that up my my apologies in advance but with that said the pup was actually used for um you know space for commuters in the morning to get their their stuff together before classes and so forth it wasn't officially open but just looking at the space and its value its utilitarian um you know, presence was really valuable for those students who were off campus, but also those who uh, lived on campus, they didn't have to go far from the pub to their dorm rooms. And so a lot of these were benefits, yeah. um, even though the, the age changed, some of the uh, circumstances really helped those who were able to uh, partake and benefit of the uh, pub during uh, sure. the uh, wonderful 1980s. Yeah. And then, and then that takes us to the end of an era to the 90s. And I'm really curious as to how something like this comes to an end because I know, listen, I graduated Seton Hall in 2010 and I remember getting onto campus. I remember being in the cold and thinking like, this is a really cute spot and people telling me these stories about how if you really look at the details, you can see that it was a pub and it has that vibe and it has that feel, right? So when I was in college, we were ordering coffee from across the bar, but you can see how it was a bar. And so I wonder 
how does it end? How does having a bar on campus come to an end when the drinking age did not change? So what did change? What was the tipping point? Great, Bianca. Actually, I want to talk to you at some point about your senior hall years too. This is really good to hear about your experiences <laughs> within the space. But um, you know, going back in the time machine to the 1990s, um, there were a lot of different factors that were in play. I should point out too that um, you know, in terms of logistics, along with the drinking age, I think I've beaten that one. <laughs> too Sorry about that, everybody. But um, you know. Going into town, South Orange Village made a concerted effort to uh, draw, um, you know, student dollars um, and so forth. So there were a lot of different cafes and uh, drinking establishments, especially for the seniors. Uh, I won't get into what course carding and all that was very, uh, very important. Um, What happened during the 90s, too, is that, you know, even with like trying to... um, you know, make different benefits um, and different theme nights. I mentioned there, there were so many, I was, I was amazed at how many they had just to digress for a little bit. Hold on. Yeah. Let's pause there. Tell me some of the theme nights. (laughs) Oktoberfest, St. Patrick's day, new year's Eve party, um, senior auction, senior night, 100 year, 100 days to graduation. Um, I think they had a theme night for every night of the week, but I, I could be wrong on that. And it just went on Greek night, uh, Mr. Seton Hall contest, um, and so forth. I don't you know what's I'm really gonna... interesting is that um, even later generations can relate to some of the events that you just mentioned, like the 100 Days to Graduation and a, a number of the ones that you just uh, talked about, Greek night. But the experience was different, although still largely in the university center, the experience was mostly in the main lounge. So it's interesting to see that some of what was created for and during the time of the pub continued its existence even when the pub was no longer. Right. And Bianca, I'm glad you brought up the main lounge too, because there was a lot of overflow and actually various events incorporated the pub um, the game room or TV room, and also the main lounge in terms of entertaining different special occasions on campus. So the pub was used for most of the 1990s until its closure, its official closure in 1996. And just getting back to your original question, sorry for that, um, uh, veering off course for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there are a few, there are a few negative factors that were involved. Um, you know, as I mentioned, South Orange and the promotion of various establishments um, on campus, they did, um, they had a big raid in 1996. Um, and unfortunately, they found out that some of the uh, bar capes and others were serving underage students. Um, they weren't as vigilant as they should be. And I'm just reading this from um, various sure. print sources. So, right. and then it became sort of a liability. So factor in um, losing money. Yeah, they were still in a hole even from the um, late 1970s, early 80s, um, trying to make up the deficit. But also in terms of um, legalities, um, changing taste, different types of um, factors that were on campus, the administration. Um, and, you know, the popularity kind of waned after a while um, because of some of the um, – you know, further restrictions they put in um, in right. regard to uh, operations. I'm sorry to be a gloomy Gus, but that's kind of 
Oh, no, I'm, like, jotting down 1996, find people to blame for the raid and the shutdown. <laughs> Just kidding. There you go. We, we, you can see the Setonian. I'm, I'm not making things up. This is uh, this was written in the uh, in, in the press. So. Next on my interview list, those involved in the 1996 raid. <laughs> I'm yeah, just kidding. I, I will give you the names now. I'm just <laughs> But, We're coming for them. Yeah. And then it's funny, before I started in 1999, you know, I didn't have that, you know, experience. But th that's what I read. And it's, it, it was the end of an era. It's a, it was a sad end of the era. But unfortunately, it's one of those things, you know, even with COVID and so forth, different things change as a result of um, circumstance. Um, right. But with that said, fond memories and so forth of, you know, those who have lived the experience. and. Right. I don't know if there's a plan in the works to uh, resurrect it on campus, but um, I know that, um, you know, the space, you know, it's um, maybe they should get a historical marker for maybe, maybe, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, here's where the pub once existed. <laughs> right. And um, you're saying now it's, it's the pirate's code. So, and, you know, amazing place. I've, I've eaten there a number of times, just like you mentioned, you got coffee and uh, it's a great Oh yeah. So, I mean, we're, and we could dedicate an entire other episode to the code, but the, the end of the pub does lend way to the start of Pirate's Cove. And I think what's interesting is I definitely lived that experience of, of having the Pirate's Cove and it really did provide this very intimate feeling of a coffee shop and we had the types of events there where it was, you know, open mic poetry and open mic music and political debate and special types of conversations and spoken words. So the end of one era opened up the start of another that provided special experiences and memories for alumni and students of the time, but you know, alumni who, who are now alumni now. So it's uh it's something that the nostalgia of hearing about the the pub even for the for those of us that didn't live it is something that we all feel you know post pub existence we all kind of have this little bit of connection like yeah seeing hall used to have this pub and we love hearing about it but those that had the cove also have their own little special experience so all good however Alan. Yes. I understand that the cove is coming to an end or has come to an end at the at the time of this recording with the changes coming to the university center. Right, Bianca. And I, I just have to say that was beautifully said about the continuum and how the space until you know recently, um, you know, served as a as a focal point for all these creative outlets and um no lines either. So <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there was coffee lines. Okay, well, <laughs> not as long as in the past. But in all seriousness, you're right. You know, right now, uh, if you check out our uh, university homepage, and if you're on campus, you can see the construction going on. Uh, they're re renovating and upgrading the uh, student center um, from its 1962 origins. And as you're right, it's unfortunate, but the space that was the Pirates Cove is um, no longer in operation. Um, of course, during construction, but afterward, it's going to have a whole new uh, sheen and, and purpose, I believe. Do you have any insider scoop? Do we know what, what the purpose is going to be? Do we have any information? <laughs> thank you. Thank you for giving me credit on that. But it's funny, as an archivist, um, 
two things. I'm the last to know. <laughs> and also when they ask if anything's new, not in the archives, it's all. Fair enough. It's a bad pun, but no, but seriously, <laughs> I, I don't know, but um, I know updates are, are frequent on the homepage um, along with different news, uh, you know, uh, bulletins from throughout campus on the progress. But unfortunately, I don't know the whole story in terms of the space itself. So I apologize for that. But we'll know soon enough um, what's going on. Yeah, and I'm sure it's going to be amazing. And again, right, one era lends to the opening of a new one, the start of a new one. So I am actually really excited as an alumna of the university to see what this university center has to offer the next generation of pirates because I know what it offered my generation and I love hearing stories about what it offered previous generations. So I'm sure it's going to be amazing. That's good. And we're glad you're part of that generation, Bianca, because you're, and you're writing the story as we go as, as well. So that's true. And you write amazing stories yet to come. Alan, before I let you go, I have to ask in the pub, in the time that it was the pub, were there any were there any artists that we know that did a show or were there any like special appearances that you might know of? I'm glad you asked that, uh, Bianca, because it's, it's interesting. Uh, one of the early fixtures was the uh, Jim Marino band. Uh, and he opened a lot for Bruce Springsteen at very years. Mm. But the boss, he I don't think he played in the pub itself. He played at Walsh Gym because even in when he played in the early 70s, uh, 74 and 76 are the dates that come to mind. Um, he played in Walsh for a, um, I think the uh, the going ticket was $4. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Can you imagine? Yeah. So Jim Marino was like the first, like, I would say the house band, um, so to speak. But you had various artists, uh, various kinds who would come in. If you come to the archives or make an appointment, I'm happy to look up you know different individuals and hear about you know, different experiences. Nobody who would um, they were artists in their own right and very talented, but I just can't. So people who are not like you know famous today. But I'll say that I admire them because they have the talent. <laughs> but uh, right. with that said, they had. They had something called the uh, audition nights, um, and they would bring in bands. You know, the next um, uh, group that would, you know, be um, you know a fixture as a uh, as a uh, recurring guest at the uh, at the pub. Oh, sounds like Seton Hall had its own little mini American Idol. Good, st- yep. And they had karaoke nights too to add to the other night uh, themes. 1940s night, 50s night, 60s night, and you know different uh, bands kept would come in. So the talent was um, never nonstop and never ending. Um, so we can look to those individuals as being like a positive force in terms of the artistic um, gifts to the university. Um, but in terms of others, um, my apologies. Uh, I would have to, um, you know, look and do more research on that, which I'm happy to do. In terms, of, <laughs> but but the main the the headliners during that period, we had the Pointer Sisters, Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass. I mean, we went all across the gamut, and all different types of musical genres were played in the pub. You know, from, cool. from country to um, jazz to electric, um, and so forth. Um, Billy Idol. It was on campus along with um, uh, Duke Ellington. I mean, it's it's just oh, wow. interesting the uh, juxtaposition of. Yeah. But again, a lot of them played in Walsh Gym. But I can say this: after various concerts 
and basketball games and volleyball games and other events on campus that were held along with classes, the pub was the destination to go after these events. So you can say at least half credit in terms of, you know, drawing out the experience of a particular evening or day right. when, when like these great, you know, um, talented individuals were on campus. So we, we can look to that as part of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining the Pirates Eye podcast. And we don't have our eye on one particular pirate today, but we do have our eye on what is such an amazing establishment and such a monumental part of the experience of a lot of the alumni of what is about three decades and even when it becomes the cub even more. So thank you so much for bringing to us the research that you have on the pub and painting a picture for us, especially for those of us that couldn't be there and painting a picture and bringing folks down memory lane for those that did live the experience. So thank you once again. Great. Thanks, Bianca. It's always great to talk to you and thank you so much for the invitation and thanks everybody for listening. Go Pirates. We invite you to share your memories of the pub with us by tagging Seton Hall alumni on social media, especially as the University Center undergoes a major renovation. And of course, I did get the inside scoop on what those changes will be. Our beloved Student Center will be back and better than ever with an outdoor performance and activity space, a Pirate TV WSOU Seton Hall Athletics studio, an event room for all types of student programming, and a prayer room, among other amenities. And you too can stay in the know about the renovation. Just check our show notes for the link. In honor of those treasured memories in the University Center, consider making a gift this Giving Day, which is running from April 27th to the 28th by visiting www.shu.edu slash giving day, or you can use the link in our show notes. Remember to stay up to date with all of Seton Hall's alumni engagement opportunities and to view recordings of past virtual events that you may have missed, visit www.shu.edu slash hall hub. Share the news of this podcast with your friends. Be sure to follow us on social media at Seton Hall Alumni. And of course, if you know of a pirate we should have our eye on, do not hesitate to email us at alumni at shu.edu. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye Podcast. <laughs>